is Strictly John Keith. Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith, and welcome to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. On this show, two guests who've each produced books which, in their very contrasting ways, ask and answer questions. The first one will test your memory and knowledge of Everton. It's titled Never Mind the Toffees, the Ultimate Everton Quiz Book, and it's welcome to its compiler, my very good friend, Goodison Park official statistician, Gavin Buckland. Hi, welcome, John. Gavin. My second guest has written a book that provides a positive answer to aspiring football youngsters, asking what the future may hold after rejection. It has the intriguing title, Stephen Gerrard, Michael Owen and Me. And it's a warm welcome to the top of the city tower to its author, Mike Yates. Mike, thanks for coming in. Thanks, John. Um, you were just telling me it took three years to, uh, to write the book and from the first idea, how did it all begin? It was something that I've always wanted to do. Um from when I left Liverpool, actually, you know, mm. with, with the story I had to tell, um, yeah. coming through the system with players such as Stephen Gerrard and Michael Owen. Um, it was actually when I went on holiday to Barbados yeah. and had a chance meeting with Keith Miller, who... Who's published the book. Published and, and actually wrote the book. He actually. lives there, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Mm. So um, it was... He's a big Liverpool fan. We were having a chat and um, I mentioned to him that I wanted to put something together... Um, to give something back to my mum and dad, you know, right. for all the sacrifices that they'd made. And my dad had also kept all the paper cuttings, photographs, yeah. everything yeah. from when I was six right. right through. So I wanted to collate all that and put a little story together to go right. with it. Um, but it was then when Keith said, well, I think we should do this properly, you know. Let's, let's put something down on a document and talk about what you want to say. Exactly. Because I was a coach at the academy as well. To back this up, I was saying, well, the amount of players that are coming through the system at the moment, and I've coached, um, some of them, unfortunately, we have to release. That's yeah. just the, the nature of the beast. Indeed. And later on down the line, you can be sat in a, a dressing room with a group of coaches and you'll mention a name and somebody will say, well, where's he now? And yeah. the fact is, yeah. nobody knows. Yeah. You know. So, yeah, we it was three and a half years in, in writing because we wanted to do it properly. Well... Yes, I think you certainly have because it's got very, very good reviews and uh, praise from uh, some notable people in the game, which we'll talk about. Now, Gavin, um, this latest uh, of your numerous volumes on Everton, it's uh, 30 rounds of 11 questions under various titles. Um, where, where do you... I mean, you, you always amaze me. Where do you... How would you keep a handle on this welter of information? I mean, it, you must dream about it at night. Yeah, I mean, first of all, John, I'd like to say, yeah, I didn't think of this in Barbados, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I would like, oh, that's a, that spoiled the yeah, story now. I would like to have been given the opportunity to, of course. You know, but uh, going back to your point is, well, one, as you know, I do evidence statistics, so, you know, you, you know, as part of that role, <laughs> You've you've got to keep a, keep abreast of what's going on, and yeah. at the same time, in doing that, you've always got to compare it to what's gone on in the past. So yeah. there's a natural flow from that, um, and I think that that's the one thing, uh, one aspect of it, and and two, it's another thing then converting that uh, sort of knowledge and sort of you know all the data that you've got into questions mm. but your brain must be a computer i know you use a, a an actual computer but you must have a very disciplined regimented brain i think it leads i think once you've done things like that for a yeah. long time it your brain automatically sort of kicks in so if something happens say that's unusual 
you'd automatically think when was the last time that happened, you know, and um, <laughs> no. it, it does. And, and I think, as you say, regimented is the is, is the. Is well, the I've, s- I've sat next to you in press in the press box, and um, something has happened, as you say, and within seconds you say, "Do you know the last time that happened?" Nineteen fifty-eight, <laughs> second half, thirty-six minutes. How does this man yeah. do it? You know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the danger is as well, like, you know, like all of this, all this is you've got to make sure it's right as well. I mean, oh, and, indeed. And, and yes. you know, um, that, that's the other, the other thing as well. So, you know, it, it's, it's collecting that data and making sure it's accurate and then for the quiz book, putting it into something that's meaningful. And also, you know, because it is a quiz book, you know, you've got to be mindful of your audience and make sure that, yeah. you know, I always think like a good question, whatever, whatever the scenario is, the person who's, who's trying to answer it can at least give an answer. Yes. You know, that, that's that's the key to a good question. A, a good question is not something that's really hard, that nobody will get the answer to. and Or that everybody can get the answer to. It's it's the, it's somewhere in between where everybody can have a go, yeah. but not everybody, you know, at least give an answer, but not everybody can get the right answer. And that, that's the... Yeah. Uh, that's always sort of the method I've used over the years, you know. Yeah, and a very successful one too. Mike, are you a, are you a quiz man? Do you like quizzes? Um, I'll have a I'll have a go. I don't always get yeah. the right answer. No, but, but you mean you enjoyed taking oh, yeah, part? Yeah, I really yeah. enjoy doing it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah. that'll be an interesting book. I look out for it. Anyway. Yeah, well, it is. I'll tell you. And uh, here's one for the listeners. And uh, Gavin will tell you the answer at the end of the show. This is one I've just plucked out from this plethora of questions in this book. And this is uh, there's the question now. It's a taster from round 10, question 10. Who was the only Everton outfield player unable to wear the specially designed jersey for the 1984 FA Cup final against Watford? I know the answer because I've seen it in the back of the book, but Gavin will tell you the answer to that at the end of the show. I'm sure you remember the answer. <laughs> I was just saying <laughs> when you said that, John, that I could yeah. remember the answer, you yeah. know, but uh, yeah, I do, I do recall. I'll that's give a the very re- good question. And, and also the reason why as well. That's the, that's, oh, yes. That's the other thing with questions as well. It's when you give an answer. It's, it's not enough just to give the answer. If, if, the, if it needs explaining, sure. you've got to explain you know why that is yeah. the case, you know, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I remember it, remember it very well. I think I know that one as well. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, well, there you are. Then we'll see if you're right at the end of the show. Uh, at least I know I'm right because I've read the back of the book. <laughs> now, now, back to your book, Mike. Uh, Stephen yeah. Gerrard, Michael Owen, and me. Great title. Yeah. Um, and it's been praised by Stephen Gerrard himself. Jamie Carragher, I think, has done the foreword. Yeah. Gordon Taylor of the PFA all said very nice things about it. But just take us back to the very beginning. How and why was the what was the path you trod that led to the Liverpool FC Academy for you? Well, I um, I started off like I think everybody else does, playing junior football. Um, I was very fortunate to have a great support network around me, and my mum and dad, and my brother, sister. Um, and that's where the passion started for football. Yeah. Uh, my, my brother played himself, so I used to Oh, did he, right. Yeah, what um, level did he play? Only at, uh, at, again, grassroots level. Grassroots, yeah. There was lots of things which I suppose fuel the fire, if you like. So he was successful, he won trophies, and yeah. obviously going to watch them was where it started. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I will admit it, I was an Evertonian. I was going time. to ask you, were you? Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who, so, were your, who were your early heroes then? Um, Gary Lineker, Graham Sharp, Andy Gray, Adrian Heath. Oh, yeah, all yeah of the 80s Everton. My brother's favourite player, Kevin Ratcliffe, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and a very good team as well. Went so, they just, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's where it started. And I went to a local grassroots team, Bursco Dynamo. Started playing there from the yeah. age of uh, seven. 
um, played for the school team, yeah. put the nets up, loved playing football. I was lucky that Hugh McCauley came yes. to watch me one day. Oh, I know. Well, he's been on the show, yeah. Um, uh, in a game against Formby Juniors, and we actually got beat 8-1. Did you? But I managed to do well. Um, and your and position was? Centre-forward. Centre-forward. <laughs> and I scored that day uh, from the halfway line. Did you? Did um, you scored the one goal? I scored the one goal for us, and I, I must <laughs> have done okay. Yes. Um, but before that, a, a gentleman called Tommy Galvin, who I'll never forget, was the scout who... Uh, was in and around that area, the local scout, and he recommended me to, I think it was to Everton and Liverpool. And uh, like I say, Yui came and watched, and after the game, just asked if I'd be interested in coming to yeah. for a trial at Liverpool yeah. at the age of, I think it was just before my eighth birthday. Right. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I had to clean my ears out for a split second, but <laughs> Yui asked me the direct question, you know, it didn't come from my dad, it was. Right. Would I like to? And you know, obviously the answer was yeah, I'd love to. So yeah, um, yeah that's where it started. I went to Littleland High School for the uh, for the trial the next oh, day. Yes, yeah. Um, and for a story is there is as I got there. Um, well, before that actually, I was thinking, what am I going to wear? Because all my kits were Everton. I'm going to Liverpool. <laughs> you know, what am I going to wear? Is the first yes, dilemma. Yes, indeed. Uh, managed to find a, an old Real Madrid shirt that I had. Put that on. Went for the for the trial. Um, as I got there. I walked into the gymnasium and, and there's Kenny Dalgleish stood in his full manager's kit. Yeah. And I'm thinking, is he going to be taking a session here? What's going on? My, you know, my young brain yeah. couldn't compute yes. what was going no. on. Oh, no. It was actually that he was just dropping Paul off. Right, for the his session son as Paul, well. yeah. Um, but it was a, a great session. Loved it from the start, you know. Yeah. Um, and actually, after the session, the Steve Highway and Hugh McCauley came to my dad and said, you know, we'd like to take him on and, and that was where the journey started at, at eight yes. years old yes which of course it's all recounted in this great book um and and you were you you were part of that you you became part of the youth setup with the likes of michael owen gerard jamie yeah, carragher right. through the 90s didn't you that's right so from the age of eight when i first signed um back then i say back then i feel old now but um <laughs> Football moves. Quickly, it does. Yeah. It moves so quickly. It, it, we were training in a gymnasium, you know, a school gymnasium, um, two maybe three nights a week, and yeah. um, that was at Little and High. Stevie Gerrard and a couple of others, so from the Merseyside area, were training at Vernon Sangster. Mm. Um, but we were fortunate that in the summer months or school holidays, we we could go to Melwood and actually train where the first team Fabulous, train. Yeah. And now and again, we bump into. What I consider, I consider as legends, you know, the likes of John Barnes, Ian Rush, Kenny himself. Just, just be, a bit, yeah. As they'd be coming out, we'd be going in to, you know, to do our training session, yeah. like you say. Um, and I remember vividly my first time I met Stephen Gerrard. You know, there'd been a lot of talk about him. Um, but I remember the training session that I first met him. And just the, there was things that stick out in my mind that I found it easy to score goals up until that point. Oh. Stevie marked me and oh. I don't think I got a kid. I've... Really? I've, yeah, uh, it's in the book. It's but, in the book in yeah. there, but uh, it was it's something else, and that's something. And you'd that have been how old then? I was like, eight yes. at the time, and even then, even you then, you know, it, yeah. and we've all seen how he's performed over the years, and the way he's yeah. he's grabbed games by the scruff of the neck. He certainly had that from a young age, you know, and yeah. he's obviously continued that. I think that's something that separates players these days you know yeah. the mental aspect of the game yeah and you um well in fact i think you played for the reserves you got that far didn't i you? did yeah so obviously like you mentioned you know stephen gerrard michael owen we had um 
Also players like Stephen Wright, who went on to play first team. Yeah, Richie Partridge, um, Jason Kumas, Michael yeah. Ball. Um, yeah, all players who all went players on to who make careers to make in league careers. football. Of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. So we had a really good side. Yeah. Um, you know, the coaching staff and everything about Liverpool was, it was brilliant. You know, the Liverpool way, if you like. We had, and for me, looking back now, the likes of Roy Evans, Ronnie Moran, Dougie Livermore, Joe Corrigan yeah. were all around us. Obviously, Steve Highway, Sammy Lee. Yeah. It was just brilliant. You know, yeah. the facilities, it was going yeah. in the right direction. Yeah. And like you say, I, I managed to get up to reserve team level. Um, and it was at the time of the Euro 96 yeah. when I was my first year YTS. And, you know, I think I was doing okay. Um, we had a trial match, so not all the first team players had come back from playing for England or their respective countries. So no. there was an opportunity for us YTS players to join in with the first team and reserves. So in my mind, it was an opportunity. You know, I believed that if I did well, maybe yeah. I could get on the pre-season tour, you know. Yes. So um did well in some training games and then there was a game for the reserves coming up against Bursko, funnily enough, which is my local team. Um, and like I say, in my mind, I was thinking, that's my opportunity. If I keep yeah. going, I'll get selected and I'll... Yeah. Um, and in that training game, uh, just before we... Um, or the training session, sorry, just before the Bursko game, I was doing a shooting session. I turned round and the ball hit my arm, broke it, and that was it. Oh, you know, right. yeah. I was out for two and a half months. I don't think... I fully recovered from that, and no. you know, you, mentally, you mentally, didn't. you know, no. that's the fine line mm. that's between. Yeah. And I'm not saying that if I'd have got on the tour, I might not have got on the tour, no. you know. But mm. but but you feel that that I was a landmark was a, yeah. point in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's fascinating, and um, well, we'll talk. We'll talk later about the moment that it must have been absolutely heartbreaking to you. But uh, Gavin, just very quickly, these. Um, these sorts of situations are replicated right around the UK, aren't they? P youngsters with dreams, and they've got to come to terms with them, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, especially in the modern era, because obviously, even in the mid-90s, you were probably only competing with people from your own country or, you know, British players at that level who would, like, then moved on to, you know, the top clubs or even lower low division clubs. But now, obviously, it's it's worldwide, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and, and, point, and yeah, the market yeah. is... Is so much wider than that it was even you know even ten years ago. Yeah. So it's it's far more competitive and and obviously people have got onto that in terms of the influence on that on the national, the yeah. national teams and not yeah. just in England but I'd say you know it's affected like Scotland doesn't it Wales. Yeah. And That's Ireland. a good point because remember Ian Callaghan saying to me only recently when he was uh, training twice a week as an amateur anyone from Manchester was a foreigner. <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. now they're from the, the other yeah. side of the globe yeah. aren't they? I, but it's always been the case even you know in Cali's days you know. I, I, what what happened then? There were you know people just disappeared. You know if you were decent, I mean a lot of the decent players you've released from Everton, Liverpool went to play for Southport yeah. and Sandmere. If you That's if you right, saw yeah. their their lineup say in, in the sixties, early seventies, a lot of those players, especially on uh, moved, I've moved on to those clubs because some some of some of those clubs were managed by former Everton Liverpool mm -hmm. players. You could remember them, yeah. uh, the youngsters from their time in the club and and sort of that. And, that opportunity is being lost because you know clubs from down the yeah. leagues they bring in players That's from right. abroad and, and stuff like that. So mm. it's it's far more competitive now, isn't it? You know, it is indeed. I'm talking to Gavin Buckland and Mike Yates about their respective books, the Ultimate Everton Quiz Book, and Stephen Gerrard, Michael Owen, and me. We'll be talking more to both of them after this break. Don't go away. This is 
is Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. My studio guests, Mike Yates and Gavin Buckland, who brought out two totally different kinds of books. Mike's book is called Stephen Gerrard, Michael Owen and Me, and Gavin's, the official Everton statistician that he is, the ultimate Everton quiz book. Mike, I mentioned earlier that your book's been praised by some notable football figures. Yeah. Stephen Gerrard, for instance, says, Yates's true story gives an entertaining insider's view of the life of a young footballer, and it does a great job of describing the many ups and downs of the game. Jamie Carragher, as we said earlier, has written the foreword to the book. He says, Mike Yates's story paints a very honest picture of the reality are being released but it also shows how he turned his setback into an enjoyable career and a happy life and Gordon Taylor of the Players Union the PFA he says I'm very happy to recommend this book to all aspiring footballers as a lesson that even if you don't reach the top you can achieve success in life so really Mike it's yeah. a it's a template isn't it as well as being your own story of how to deal with a major setback, as if to say, well, that road's closed, but round the corner there's a whole new avenue totally. opening up, and that's what you did. Exactly, and, you know, from the like I mentioned before, from the age of eight through to 18, I had 10 years where I believed it was going to happen. You yeah. know, maybe not straight away. It was, I was going, for, for me, as an early age, I was going training, I was having fun. But at the age of 12, 13, 14, when you're going into Melbourne and you're seeing players... Um, the likes of John Barnes, Robbie Fowler. Yeah. And then Robbie goes and turns, you know, his training into a reality of making it as a first team player. Yeah. I believed. And I'm sure I defy any player who's coming through a system to not think that they're gonna make it. Sure. But I think it's about getting the balance now of, you know, when do we tell these young players, well, you know, the chances are, unfortunately, you're not gonna yeah. progress to first team level. What about thinking about something else? Yes, and that's a that's a, you know a big yeah. question to ask a young player. Well, I, um, I was going to ask you and Gavin, do you think football addresses that issue as as well as it should? In other words, should there be not counselling, but should there be more advice to youngsters who are given the hard word, "You ain't going to make it." Certainly not here, in our opinion. At that point, should something kick in to help them over the disappointment? Well, think? I think um, I can speak from experience of, of Liverpool, certainly. Yeah. You know, um, we have a, a fantastic football programme coaching young players, but we have an equally great programme, you know, working with the players off the pitch as well. Yeah. Um, you know, exposing them to real life, if you like. So, an example is the players will, uh, the young players will, will visit Alder Hay Hospital, for example, and see the realities of life. Yes, very Just to good make point. sure they. Yes, um, yes. You know they they don't get carried away with the situation they're in. Mm. Um, they'll also do community programs as well, where they'll maybe go and feed the homeless, but they won't go in the kit. No. They'll just go mm. and be everyday people, if you like, yes. and just mix in and, and help out. Um, so little things like that, as well as you know the actual mentoring side of it with the coaches. So not only the football program on the pitch is coaching them as players, yeah. but coaching them for life and whatever life throws at them is is equally as important. So, so that sounds if it's more advanced now in that direction than it was when you got the hard word. I think what? so, yeah. But I yeah. think with me, or us as players, we came through a different time period. Yes. So for me, for example, as a YTS, I was cleaning boots. Yeah. Yes, it's academies now and it's different, isn't I it? I was, yeah. you know, I was getting um, 
being taught life skills through a different method. Yeah. We also had Ronnie Moran around us. Yes. You know, who was a disciplinarian. <laughs> sergeant major. Yes, made sure was. that we had standards. Yeah. Um, so subconsciously, I was learning things about life by doing my job. Yes, yes, um, yes. So, you know, for example, I'd come into work and I'd clean 12 pairs of staff boots. Yeah. I'd get all the kit ready for all the staff, make sure it was folded up neatly in the space. I'd go and do Jamie Redknapp's boots for the for training. Yeah. Um, and that's before I'd even put my own kit on yeah. to train. But it was a sense of responsibility, you know. Yeah. Yes, um, of course. And also understand. I had Ronnie popping in, making sure I was cleaning them properly, oh, making yeah. sure there was a ring of dubbing around the bottom of the boots. <laughs> you know, just... <laughs> Good, Keeping no, those standards, yeah. yes. so mm. I think for me it was a it was a different way. Yes, to what it is now. But it was but still being addressed. It was still being yes. addressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But th th there is a lovely um, before that happened. Before you left, there was a you got a, you recall a wonderful memory of you scored a hat trick at Anfield at the age of fourteen, didn't you? I did, yes. And Mr. Gerrard supplied the cross for the hat trick clinching goal. He did. Tell us about that, man. And I can remember that as well but we've also got that on on video because that was at the time when it was socially acceptable to for parents to video ah, the game so right. but um yeah every at the end of every season we used to go to Anfield as the reward for you know all your hard work and it was a a presentation evening so you get to play on the pitch yeah and then go into the centenary stand and you get presented with your certificate yeah by the manager or a player who'd gone through the the program sure um so that particular day yeah, I uh, managed to score a hat-trick. It was actually at the Anfield Road end. Makes no difference to me, you know. It's, no, no. It's a memory that I'll I'll have for the rest of my life, so... And, and the clinching goal was a Gerard cross and you headed it in, is it? It was, right? yeah. So I remember he peeled out wide to the right. The ball managed to get to him. He beat his man and he whipped in a great... Crowd. To be honest with you, I didn't need to do much with it. You just had to make contact, did you? <laughs> just had to make Mind contact. Mind you, some people yeah. don't make contact, do they? No, that's right. That's very <laughs> you know, true. so you've got to make the contact, Mike, haven't you? Yeah. Very true. Just, but something you said there, you see, about uh, it was different in your ear, and of course, I I would guess then that you would play, or certainly the generation maybe just before you would play as youngsters in open age leagues. Now they don't do that now. No, and that's been criticised, Gavin. A lot of a lot of players who've come through that era say that their experience, their great experience, was gained against playing against players much older. Some hardened professionals would be in those A and B leagues. Yeah, it, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, or even like the reserve team has changed over exactly. the years, hasn't it? Yes. Um, it? It's a difficult one. I mean, I think it always, it's a bit like, when I have conversations like this, I always think of, you know, Arthur Hopcraft in, in The Football, the football Man. Man. It's a great book. One of the, it's the greatest book One of book the greatest the football books ever written. Yeah, yeah. and he, he, mm. said, he said football and the way it's organised will always reflect wider society, and that's what, what it does, doesn't it? The way it's treated its sure. players over the last 30 years, that... Yes. Um, to make them more responsible to the community, uh, to make them aware of what's going on outside. And also, it's interesting to, to see Alex Ferguson saying in his book that youngsters are coming through are far less resilient than what they were in his age. Not because their characters are more flawed, just that they've become from more comfortable yeah. surroundings yes, than people say in the media post-war era, or even in, in the 60s mm. and 70s. And, and I think, you know, that's why clubs have changed, haven't they, to, to treat players differently. Because I think, you know, like a lot of employees, they're far more aware of their responsibilities to their, mm. their employees, you know. Um, and I think that's that's also reflected, John, going back to your point in, you know, when and where they can play. You know, it might be 
more damaging for people in the, in the modern era to play with the hard and professionals just purely be. because of their yeah. resilience, you know. Yeah. And that's not to criticise them, that's just, uh, you know, uh, probably wider society. And also, I think because it's so much more high profile, a few of those older ones in the A and B leagues might be bit more inclined to uh, you know stick the boot in as it were. Well, that's you know? what they did. I yeah. mean, they they admitted that at the time, and uh, so I suppose I suppose the present system might gives youngsters the scope to demonstrate their skills, doesn't it? Without, as Gavin says, some thirty-eight-year-old clogger kicking them up the backside or whatever, doesn't it? You know. Yeah, I think it does. I think you know, like like you just said there, it's it's difficult to again get the balance. You know, you don't want players dropping down from a first team and. You know, getting kicked all over the place, no. if you like. But no. um, certainly, the current program now, there's there's a lot of work for the coaches, but there's no stone unturned. You know, we're, we're looking at match analysis, uh, reviews on players where they can go into a computer room and look at how they've played, yeah. video clips, yeah. uh, goal setting. It's yeah. phenomenal. You yeah. know, um, yeah. But there's there's a pathway. There's, a, there's definitely a pathway for young players. Statistics and what Mike's been talking about, Gavin, have really become part of the game, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, we are every before every uh, Premier League game, uh, Barclays, the sponsors, puts out this. I've got it in front of me, the Barclays statement. And it's got, um, well, the only thing it doesn't have, I think, is how many times the players went to the toilet. I mean, it's yeah. it's everything. Is Now, are we overloading this? Absolutely. Is this, has it gone too far? Yeah, I'll be them toilet stats are out next year, John. They're currently well, in, it wouldn't in surprise me, you know. You know. Yeah. I mean, a great deal's made of passes, but Mike, you and I know that one great pass can mean far more than 20 Ordinary passes, yeah. can't they? I mean, it, it's an interesting one, this. Um, I mean, going back to what, what you were saying there, you can have too much information on somebody where actually, and, yeah. and this goes back to even writing books, you can have too much to Overload, work with, so yeah. you don't know which is mm. important and which isn't. Which isn't. Uh, and also, I think football, because um, it's a team game, individual statistics don't matter as much. There's all sorts of influences you can have yeah. on your performance as an individual compared to, say, cricket, where it's like a, a bowler and a batsman, which yeah. has lived on statistics for, for many years. And I think football, there's that many influences on your performance, that looking at your own pass percentage, completed rate, or how many passes you made. Yeah. Well, like, you've got to have a teammate to pass to. If they don't make themselves available, then... Well, exactly. You know, I mean, the one that I always laugh about is, you know, ever see the tackles won? Percentage. Mm. Everybody's got an eighty percent tackles. One percentage. Whenever you see them on the tally, <laughs> yeah. well, there must be somebody somewhere who's got twenty percent for that eighty yeah. percent. Exactly. There must be. <laughs> and obviously, there's your regiment in mind. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but if you notice, no, you're the, right. Uh, nobody's got a, a, a tackle uh, one rate less than fifty percent. So mm. you know, where, where are they? You well, know? so in that, in, in fact, they're meaningless. Some of them. Yeah, then, I aren't think they? some of them are. Yeah. And and I did hear some. I think it was uh, you know Mark Bowen, the you know who's coach with Harry Redknapp yeah, and, and yeah. people like that. He was saying some managers now are moving away from that type of oh, analysis to a more, you know, sort of as it used to be. So intuition uh, comes into it, and you know, you know, personal perspective rather than having your decisions yeah. Yeah. ruled to some degree by, you know, as you say, twenty-seven passes in the first half last week, getting into the opposition penalty mm. box thirty times a game is, is just generally a more a more rounder view on on somebody. Yeah. Which I suppose, you know, the problems at youth level are probably the same, as you yeah, say. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of benefit to having, you know, visually, to be able, for a coach to be able to say, well, go and have a look at it in the computer room. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. I think those are great. But, I mean, I did my, I was on my A-licence course on Sunday and I was studying, um, it was England, England under-21s versus Norway under-21s. Yeah. And um, I don't think Norway got out of their own half. England had something like 78% possession, but they were 1-0 down. 
Yeah, well, there you are. You see. Yeah. Now, there you are. That's classic, isn't it? It's that? a classic example. So what do you learn from that? Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, I think there's, there's a lot of benefits to having it. But again, I think it always comes back to getting the right balance. You know, you don't yeah. want overload of information. Exactly. But you need to provide the players with the right information so they can perform on the pitch. Yeah. You, you were talking there, Mike, I just mentioned you were studying for your A licence. Um, just to take your career through, just tell us the moment that Steve Highway and what you felt like when Steve Highway told you that, you know, it was the end of the road at Liverpool. It was, which, uh, which you do in the book. Yeah, I do. It's, um, it was when I got to 18. Um, and it was, I think it was in November. And we just played a Youth Cup game and I got left out. I travelled with the team, I expected to play. Um, I, from what I recall, but again, in my own mind, I'm doing okay. I'm yeah. thinking I'm going to make it. Yeah. I actually got left out completely. Uh-huh. And um, a number of younger players came into the squad. And that was where my first doubt, element of doubt came mm. in. And it was just funny that after the game, Steve caught me in the in the tunnel at uh, Filbert Street, it was at the time, and said, um, are you in tomorrow? I'd like to come round to your house. I want to have a have a chat with you. So... There's all sorts going through my head. Mm. Um, I was doing my jobs the next day, and um, the first team got a lot of posts, and I managed to just see something on the floor, which was um, about coaching. And with the support network I had, you know, my mum and dad had mm. always said, look for something different, you know. Yes, the sure. chances are. So I was lucky in that way. Yeah. So I picked it up and thought, yeah, I might look into that, because as part of the YTS that we did then... Um, we did a BTEC in business and finance every Thursday, day release. And we also did our level one coaching badge, um, you know, to support us just in case. Yeah, so, sure. mm. But I really enjoyed the coaching aspect. Yeah. yeah. Steve Highway watched us. Um, so going back to where Steve came to the house yeah. um, and I'd taken this leaflet home, he came into the house and I'm thinking, what's he going to be saying here? I'm thinking, is it a professional contract? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he sat down and, and uttered the words I didn't want to hear which was, Mike, I'm sorry, but Liverpool Football Club aren't going to be offering you a professional contract. And it was just the end of the world for me. Yes. You know, like I said before, from the age of eight through to 18, I'd been, it was the dream. Well, you, you uh, the dream became momentarily a nightmare for you, but you put it behind you. And we'll talk in the final segment about what you've done and what you're doing now. And also to Gavin about his book and other various things regarding football. I'm talking to Mike Yates and Gavin Buckland. I'll be talking more to them after this break. Stay tuned. This is Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. My studio guests, Gavin Buckland, whose new book is called Never Mind the Toffees, the ultimate Everton quiz book, and it is, I can tell you, and another fantastically different book, Stephen Gerrard, Michael Owen and me. Uh, it's Mike Yates' own story about how he dreamed of playing for Liverpool. He then was told at 18 he wouldn't make it, and he's since, well, he's since found uh, a career in the game that... Uh, that he's, uh, he's very happy with. And Mike, just to start from there, you went on after leaving Liverpool, you played for Bursco yeah. in the Northern Premier League. And within two years, you were spotted and signed by Dundee. Yeah. And you were in a teammate, you were a teammate, I should say, of uh, no less Argentinian star Claudio Canizio, weren't yeah, you? I know, quite Who so played right. in three World Cup finals. Yeah, that's tournaments. right. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us all about that. Well, when I got released... From Liverpool, yeah. Um, what Steve Highway took away with one hand, he gave me, offered me something else with another. 
He wanted me to become one of the first five academy coaches. Because he is brilliant, Steve Highway, isn't he? Unbelievable. He's been on this show, yeah. yeah. Um, a great mentor in, like I said before, not only football, but in life. You know, he's helped support so many players over the years. Um, so it was obviously one of those things where I was in a daze, but a chance to stay at Liverpool Football Club, yeah. I don't think you can turn down. Um, so I was interested in the coaching, yes, so I took the job. Um, one of my first jobs, actually, sorry to go off, but was to go to Armenia oh. um, and work with, you know, in war-torn Armenia with oh, really? young children um, and provide football coaching for them. Now, rewind five months, I was in a tournament in Dusseldorf <laughs> in a five-star hotel yes. playing with Michael Owen, Stephen Gerrard yeah. um, and enjoying football, thinking I'm going to be the next player to come through. But that was a reality check for me, you know, yeah, from having all those things Yes. And to go to somewhere like Armenia, yes. but it opened my eyes and totally changed my life and my, you know, the way I I saw things. Mm. A real eye opener. Yeah. Um, like you say, I continued playing in the non-league. Um, managed to do well, scored something like twelve goals in eleven games, and inevitably, teams start looking at you. Then, yeah. obviously, with the background that I had, yeah. And I was lucky that Dundee came in. Yeah. So I had another choice to make once they made an offer and it was accepted by Bursko. Yeah. It was, what do I do now? I'm still coaching at Liverpool, or do I go back into the game? And the question that my dad had for me was, well, what have you always wanted to do? And the answer was, well, be a professional footballer. Quite right. So I answered my own question. Yes. Um, yes. Spoke to Steve Highway and the staff at Liverpool, and one thing they'd always said was, if something does happen when you're playing non-league and you're in the shop window, you'd never stand in your way. No, great. So great. off I went, um, managed to get myself into the first team, um, at the young age of, I think it was 18, 19. Yeah. And like you say, Claudio Canizia ends up coming when Ivano Bonetti's the manager. And, <laughs> you know, I, when I was a 10-year-old, I remember watching him in the 1990 World Cup. Um, yeah. And I remember him actually scoring against Brazil, knocking them out. And yeah. for him to be in the dressing room and playing alongside him and training with him, it was just... Brilliant. Brilliant. It was, it was yeah. fantastic. Yeah, because he played in 1990, 94 yeah. and 2002. Yeah, he did. See, yeah. Gavin's already, he knows <laughs> what time he scored and everything else. He's got it there. <laughs> and he played for 10 clubs in five countries, I think wow. I'm right in saying. Yeah. yeah. But what, what was he like? A nice guy. He was, yeah. I mean, yeah. His English was very limited, but mm. in terms of football ability, you know, it was, I mean, and, and again, going back to Liverpool, I've been blessed and honoured to play and see firsthand some great, great players. Yeah, um, but you know, to to have Claudio Canizia come into your dressing room and yeah, and uh, and then to be training with him was was brilliant. But one little story was we were on our way to Hearts away, and I was sat actually sat behind him, and his phone rang, and um, I could hear him laughing. And like I say, because he was his English was limited, he didn't really let him let his guard down, if you like, and didn't really mix too much. No, no. but um, I heard him laughing and thinking, oh, this is a side of Claudio we haven't seen, and. And when he put the phone down, I said, was this a, a good friend, Claudio? He said, yes, it was Diego. <laughs> on the phone to Diego, Diego Maradona. Maradona. So, Wonderful. Wow. You know, That's so. not bad getting the call from Diego, is it? Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, that goal against uh, Brazil, it was Maradona's pass, wasn't it? Just, uh, it was, yeah. Brilliant, uh, brilliant pass by yeah. Maradona. I think Claudio, we, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily say him as a good example for younger players to no. follow, but I think... No. Uh, but he was he was he was a really good PC striker, wasn't he? Uh, had a long career. I think he scored a hat trick at two different World Cup finals as well. I think uh, yeah. in, in the final stages. And uh, as I say, going back to before, you know, 
30 years ago or the 60s, the thought of somebody like Kennedy playing a Dundee, you know. know. Exactly. I mean, you know, I think it was was 78, wasn't it, really, when foreigners, and that was only a limited Mm. number because that was always the story about Maradona going to uh, Sheffield United, wasn't it? They they (laughs) thought uh, there was a chance of that in 78 and they signed Alex Sabellan instead. Um, But now it's... It, it's taken over the game. Well, I remember the, the, very, the first game of the 78-79 season had uh, Ardiles and Veer as Anfield. Yeah. And it was some, everyone was agog with this. From, and, of course, it was one of Liverpool's great performances, that, you know. Yeah, 7 they, now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, of course, so, you mentioned Steve Harvey. Sorry, he, he, you know, probably the greatest goal scored at Anfield. I think Bob used to say that, didn't he, which was the, the seventh goal it was it was Steve Highway's cross was that's right term, yeah know? well yeah. it started with Ray Clements yeah and right through the team oh Bob did pick out the greatest yeah. goal ever I I have not seen a better goal at Anfield than that yeah because it was a team goal it mm. was involved almost what eight players I think mm. yeah I think that was welcome to uh, welcome English to football the, welcome it? to the top flight of English football for yeah. foreigners wasn't it really because they that I mean there had been one or two but they were the signal foreigners weren't they really yeah to, and now it's gone from maybe, you know, even at the start of the Premier League, I think, 92-93, I think there was only seven non-British players or an Irish players playing on the opening day of the Premier League, and that's yeah. that's twenty yeah. only 20 years ago, you know. Well, you've um, led me on to a topic I wanted to raise. Are there too many, and do do the foreign do the foreign players stifle the rise of local talent, British mm. talent, Mike? Well, ultimately, I was just going to say, ultimately, that's what actually forced me out of Dundee if you like you know it was maybe it was it was down to my ability as well yeah but um it was just one of those things where I got a phone call one day and because of the amount of players that have been brought in and they were overseas players certainly brought something to the table because of the you know we learned something off them but did force out a number of British players yeah um if you ask me the question now about you know do they stifle the um production of, of British players well you know like I think you made the point before about not only have young players got to be better than players in their in their local area or the UK yeah once they get to 16 they've got to be better than every player in the world yeah. now so yeah. it's it's certainly getting harder however again going back to the words I said before about balance you know there's a mm. number of players certainly can add a lot to an academy or a team mm. but to overload it you know, it, it's not good for our young players, I don't think. No. And although the clubs might say we want the best talent available, whether from Tarleton or Timbuktu, I suppose it's the international teams who suffer, isn't it? Ultimate. Because that flow isn't coming through. Ultimately, yeah. Mm, um, yeah. But I also think that, you know, young players as well, they've got to stay strong mentally. Yes. Um, yes. And again, I know I'm relating back to the likes of Stephen and Michael. When they were younger, they only had one goal. And that was to make first team football. And then, if it wasn't to make first team, it was to mm. then make international. Yeah. And I certainly, you know, when Michael made his debut for England and for Liverpool, Stephen wasn't jealous or anything, mm. but he wanted to get there yeah, himself. Would, yeah. So my message to young players is: if you really want it, you've got to stay yeah, mentally that's the strong. Incentive. And yeah. also, if you don't make it, yeah. stay mentally strong. Uh, Gavin, I think we better give the answer to the question: uh, Who was the player, the only outfield player who couldn't wear the specially designed kit? In Everton's 1984 FA Cup final yeah, against well, Watford. Hopefully, it's got the right answer in the back of the. Go on. <laughs> it's Go Kevin on. Richardson. Oh, it's Kevin Richardson. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Who injured his um, wrist, wrist stroke hand, I think, in the the semi final uh, against Aston Villa of the League Cup in 
in in the in the February, I think it was. And he scored in that game, and none of the players could um, jump on him because no, he 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 he, he'd, uh, yeah. he damaged it, and then he he'd worn a, he wore a plaster cast uh, for the rest of the season, and on, and before the the final, uh, they had specially designed. Shirts, uh, I think, were short sleeve ones, and and Kevin was told for health reasons. I think he couldn't he couldn't wear one. He had, he had to, to be covered. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, he was he looks uh, you know slightly different uh, to, to everybody else. You know, well, they are then. See, that's one of the questions I had up my sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what we haven't established is you're now the um, Liverpool's international program manager for the academy. That's right. I am. Yeah. So um, once I left Dundee, yeah. I was very fortunate to come back to Liverpool. Yeah. Steve Highway and the team there gave me a job back working in the uh, in the community but also with the academy players. Yeah. And like I said before, that's where the idea came from. Over ten years I would realised how many players were coming in and out of the game. Um over the last two and a half years I've been working for the International Football Academy. So we provide pay to play football programmes based at the Academy. Yeah. yeah. Um and then we also have uh, purpose built academies around the world now. So fantastic. My role is to write the programme. We've got a great team with Dan White, Adam Flynn, Heather Maguire working on these programmes. Right. Providing football, taking the club to the people, if you like. Yeah. Well, there you are. So you've carved out a great career That's it. with Liverpool in football, haven't you? Now, Mike mentioned Steve Highway. The man who signed him, Bill Shankly, of course, remains a legend. And if you fancy a Christmas gift with a difference for family or friends... Tickets available now for our next production of the Bill Shankly Story Stage Show. It's at the superb new Atkinson Theatre, Lord Street, Southport, Friday, February the 7th. I'll be joined on stage by the likes of Ian Callaghan, Ian St John and Chris Lawler. Super guys, great stories to tell. Tickets £16 with £13 concessions in person from the theatre or by calling 01704 53333 or online at uk. We'd love to see you Friday, February the 7th. And Ian Callaghan and myself will also be at Broadhurst Bookshop in Southport on Wednesday, December the 18th to sign copies of the Shankly Show brochure and also uh, the book Callie and I did called Callie on the Ball. So we look forward to seeing you there as well. Now, the two books we've been talking about, to give you details, uh, Gavin Buckland's book is the Ultimate Everton Quiz Book, and uh, that is published by the History Press at £6.99, and it's in the shops now. And Mike's book, Mike Yates' book, it's published by Miller Publishing, £17.99. It's available in Waterstones Liverpool 1, at Liverpool FC stores, and on Amazon. And... Um, I tell you what, they're both well worth getting for Christmas, very different, and uh, I'm sure I'll enjoy both of them. Quiz books, Gav, they always uh, they always uh, grab people's attention, don't they? <laughs> I can see Mother saying, this meal's going cold, put that book down, come and get your meal, because people just get besotted yeah. with them, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I've, I think you can always be sort of quite popular if, if you go, go to... Uh, you know quiz questions you know writing them because you, you get advice on the way trips to go in the car car purely because they know that you've got a load of questions <laughs> yeah. to ask or, yeah. or nights out so they do and I think um, it, it doesn't matter even in the internet 
nessays where the answers are far more accessible. It, it, there is there is that um, for people answering that that the excitement of getting a you know answering it correctly when nobody else in the group has you know yes. and I think uh, they do fit for people who are answering them. I think still 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 mean a lot. I think you know. Oh, they do. Yeah. yeah. So congratulations, gents. It's uh, great to have you on the show. I'm sure the books will do very well. So from Gavin Buckland, from Mike Yates, and myself, John Keith, from this edition of Strictly John Keith. Goodbye. Strictly John Keith. City Talk 105.9.